all over the world. Cars are cars all over the world. Similarly made, similarly sold. In a motorcade, abandoned when rolled. Cars are cars. And good afternoon. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Today, it's midday on cars with our good friend John Davis, the creator, producer, and host of Motor Week, now in its 42nd season. Motor Week is the longest-running automotive show on television. It's produced right here at MPT in Maryland, and it is syndicated on PBS stations across the country. Gas prices are coming down from a peak of about 5 bucks a gallon in a lot of places earlier this year. We're back down to a national average of $3 and 26 cents. That's lower than it was a year ago at this time. The inventory of new cars is up. Dealers are trying to sell about 1.6 million new vehicles, the most they've had on hand all year. California has passed into law a requirement that 35% of new car sales would be electric vehicles by 2026. That's just three years away. So will Maryland follow suit, and how quickly will internal combustion engines go the way of the dinosaur? John Davis is with us for the hour today to take your questions and comments about all things automotive. If you're in the market for a new car, what, have you, what are you thinking about buying? What's your experience been so far in the new or used car market? And how are you feeling about it? going electric. You can give us a call at 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. John Davis joins me here in Studio A. Good to see you, sir. Oh, Tom, it's great to be back in the studio with you. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, last few times we've had to yeah. do it on Zoom, and uh, this is much nicer. Much nicer. Much, much nicer. So let's talk about these uh, emissions standards mm -hmm. and California and the, the standard that they have set. Just yesterday, the Hogan administration announced it was pausing the state's participation in a multi-state alliance for these uh, emission standards that uh, adhere to the California standards, right. which, as I understand it, are uh, stricter than the federal standards. So help us sort this Correct. out. Well, long time ago, back in the 70s, I think Congress gave California the right to set their own vehicle emission standards because they were having such a hard time with pollution. So you either have to follow the federal regulations and standards or States have found that they can, even though they can't set their own, they can opt into the California uh, regulations, which Maryland and 17 other states have done. And that was fine when we were tightening up tailpipe emissions and basically going a little further than the, uh, the federal emission standards were doing and not having it paused like happened during the, the Trump administration. But now with this mandate whereby... 2035, 100% of the new cars sold in California have to either have battery power alone or fuel cell, which is basically using hydrogen to make a chemical battery, or plug-in electrics. About 20% of that 100% can be have a small internal combustion engine but must have a battery that will go at least 50 miles. So it has to have a plug. Basically, that's what the 17 states that have opted in are facing, and they're in the position of whether they either have to follow it or, I would imagine, go back and just follow the federal guidelines. Now, most of these laws have been passed by state legislatures, so my way of thinking is those states are bound 
to do that unless something changes. However, so far, only five states, and I think they're all in the Northeast, maybe uh, one, maybe uh, Washington State uh, has also done it, have decided to actively follow California. The rest are saying, wait a minute, maybe this is not ready for prime time. Because like you said, in only three years, 35% of all the cars sold would have to be, you know, basically electrified. How do they even police that? How do they monitor that? When you say 35% of vehicles sold have to be electrified, um, if you own a Toyota dealer uh, right. dealership and I own a Ford dealership. How's how are we going to know if the total of cars we are selling, uh, you know, thirty five percent of them uh, are electric, or is it thirty five percent of whatever you sell, thirty five percent of whatever I sell? Is that how? It well, works? the manufacturers are the ones being held to the. Uh, California has been very forceful, saying that we're not going to basically penalize the dealers. We're going to basically penalize the car companies. I'm not sure what the penalties are, but basically they're saying like. You know, Ford, General Motors, you better not ship to your dealers in California more than, you know, you better ship 35% of all your inventory needs to be battery electric or something very similar. And so they're going after the car companies directly and bypassing the dealers. And I think that's politics because the dealers are such huge, you know, local politician contributors. Sure. I, but yeah, just, they're I, going after, they're, you know, it does it's seem because like... Because I mean, at the beginning of the yeah. year, what do you know what the denominator is? I right. mean, I just don't know how to do the math on it. In January, you know, who knows what 35% yeah. is going to be by December. California is... The way these laws are written sometimes, it's just... Well, they seem crazy. so nebulous. And then yeah. they turn them over to uh, their air resources board to actually enforce. And they've had a lot of experience uh, in the past. People forget that California had an electric car mandate decades ago, and it was a giant failure. Manufacturers were buying golf cart makers and making golf carts and putting them in new car dealers to try and meet this mandate for zero emission vehicles. And finally, California backed off. And you might say, well, that cost a, a lot of money, and it did. It cost billions and billions of dollars of, of bad investments. However, California got closer to their goal, and I think that's what's going on this time. I'm not even sure they expect you know, 100% of the vehicles to be electrified or something by 2035. But if they get there and it's 70% or 80%, I think they'll consider it a a success. Meanwhile, the rest of the states that have sort of bought into this, they may not be quite so lucky. Uh, So it's a mess right now. And and you don't even have meaningful uh, dollar and cents incentives coming from the federal government to uh, help this happen because uh, the latest federal rules will, come January 1st, make many of the electric cars you buy right now ineligible for the up to $7,500. So why is that? Because of, well, of, of they're a different kind of electric car than the ones that qualify? In what way are it they It has different? to do with the, the when the um, um, deficit reduction, uh, not deficit reduction, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. It it extended the $7,500 tax advantage you can get back for buying a fully electric vehicle. However, at the same time, come January 1st, a new provision kicks in that requires that vehicle to either be built here or come from what's called a free trade partner. And then there's also requirements that the materials using it, used in the batteries be domestically sourced. Now, the aim was a very good one to build up the manufacturing capabilities here, to build up the supply of uh, battery materials uh, like lithium. However, 
by saying only free trade partners are included, you've left out major allies like South Korea, Japan, most of the European countries that build automobiles. Yeah. So, so the so law no is Toyotas, very flawed. no Hyundai's, not no unless they're Renaults. built here. Yeah. Right. Now Congress does have a chance to modify this by the end of the year. So my understanding is I see no movement in that direction. Uh, but come January first, there will be very very few vehicles eligible for that seventy five hundred dollars, and you're going to need that to, until electric car prices come down to about where they are for uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. John Davis is the creator, producer, and host of Motor Week. It airs on MPT and PBS stations across the country. He's here for the hour taking your questions about cars. 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday wypr. You can join the dozens of people who follow me on Twitter at Tom Hall. WIPR. So, John, we have a tweet from Maria okay. who says, what I want to know is how are we going to retrofit dense urban areas with yeah. electric vehicle infrastructure? At what point do tax incentives fail to produce enough grocery store charging stations and they become part of the development parking regulations? It's a great question, and I don't have an answer. I'm an, I'm an electric car advocate. They're fast. They're clean. They're fun. But where are you going to plug in if you live in an apartment? You know, the apartment dweller without some big parking garage that can be retrofitted with all these chargers, that's a big, big stumbling block, I think, for all of these aims. Um, there are There is a lot of work going on to have a contactless uh, charging system that like you would do with a cell phone, maybe in some of the newer cars, that you could drive your car over and it would charge up. There are companies sprouting up that will come pick up your car and take it somewhere and charge it up and then bring it back to you. But all of this, I think, is very temporary uh, because as the fleet of electric vehicles grows, you've just got to have more in-place charging. And that's going to take a lot more effort from all of the governments than I see now. And what really bothers me is a lot of the money that's going towards uh, charging right now, putting in charging stations, is going on in for what we call level two chargers, which are basically the same as you might have for a dryer circuit in your home. And they'll add about 15, 16, 20 miles Per, per hour to your vehicle. But the fast chargers, the one that can, ones that can go up to 80% charge in less than an hour, they're few and far between, and they're not growing nearly as rapidly. And, and that's what we need to make electric vehicles your only car. Right, right. right, we, right. we just have a, a, a plethora of charging right. availability. For example, uh, here in Maryland, for people heading to Ocean City right. and to Rehoboth and to you know uh, Dewey Beach and, mm -hmm. and Bethany, um, it's hard to find spots yes. in between here and there that people can charge. Yeah, it is. I mean, the last time I checked, and one of my staff actually checked a, a couple of weeks ago, I think there's one charging station in Ocean City that has a fast charger, and I'm assuming it's got uh, two connectors. Uh, and it's at the convention center. Uh, there was an attempt by Royal Farms to put some charges on the eastern shore, but that's run into technical difficulties. And, yeah, I think, you know, that's the number one vacation uh, area for Maryland. And uh, once you leave Annapolis, uh, you better have a full charge. Yeah, and the Royal Farms example is right. interesting because they install these chargers at three of their right. stores. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the uh, phone company got rid of a certain level of, uh, what was it, 3G? Uh, 3G. That 
That's working. my understanding, and it rendered and these so all units of a sudden, the units obsolete. don't work. That's what I understand. I mean, yeah. that you know, boy, yeah. you'd think that there could be some coordination yeah. on that. Well, in terms of Maryland adhering to the standards of California, mm-hmm. um, the Hogan administration has opted out of that. So Governor-elect Wes Moore right. will have a decision facing him. But even if he decides to get back in and to adopt those standards, because the car companies need at least a couple of years notice. Right. I think by two law, they have to have two years notice. Yeah. Um, the 2027 mm-hmm. uh, models that were will be sold in, in Maryland will have weaker emission standards than California. I mean, this is why we're not you know, making the kind of progress we need to make when it comes to reducing uh, the effects of climate change. But you, if you look at the federal standards, which really talk about fuel economy and the old vernacular, they're marching towards the same goal. And the automakers have almost, I think all of them have said, that's okay. We can meet that. And one of the ways that they're doing it, just look at Toyota. Toyota is starting to bring out every new model, either with a hybrid, a normal hybrid like the Prius, where you have both an electric and a gas, as either standard or one level up from base. And Toyota, who has a big investment in hybrids, so they're a little partial towards that technology. They've pointed out that if you... Uh, that they can do more with hybrids as far as reducing the carbon footprint less expensively and get more people in them than trying to do it full electric. Uh, So going full electric has become very much of a political uh, issue, and I think politicizing new technology is never a good idea. I just think we ought to say, here are the standards, the federal standards, let's meet them, Let's follow and, and do whatever we can with existing technology to get there f- faster than just do it going, uh, saying it can only be battery electric. You drove down here today to yep. the studio in a Chevy Bolt. A Chevy Bolt EUV. Which was off the market right. for a long time because they had a... Um, they had an incident. issue with the batteries. There were some connectors and they had had a couple of uh, fire scares. I guess there were some fires. But I don't. I want to downplay it because it turned out to be a very minor instance. But because this was a brand new vehicle and technology, it got a lot of publicity. And of course, yeah. now, you know, the manufacturers yeah. give you cars right. to drive to... So you can share with your viewers mm-hmm. uh, whether you think they're good or not. Um, the affordability right. uh, is another big issue for an big electric issue. car. Um, Teslas are really expensive. I mean, what, 40000 60000 for these cars. But the, the car you drove here today um, is, a, is a reasonably priced car. And if it does qualify and for the $7,500 tax incentive, um, what, what kind of money are we talking about getting into one of those? If you can use the $7,500 uh, tax rebate on your taxes, uh, you're talking about spending, you know, low 20s for uh, a base, a bolt. The one I'm driving is the EUV. It would be a little higher, closer to 30. And there are other vehicles that fit that uh, right now, fit that category too, including the Volkswagen ID4. So we're starting to see some of these more reasonably priced electric vehicles and not the 60 and 70 and 80 and $90,000 ones, which have been the bulk of what we've tested over the last couple of years. And this time next year, there'll be quite a few more on the road. Sometimes we lose fact, though, uh, sight, though, that the average retail price of a vehicle 
rolling out of a dealer's lot these days is well over $45,000. The average price. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we should mention for folks who aren't following this particularly closely that when it comes to charging, Tesla mm-hmm. has its own, has its own network. separate network of charging stations, and they don't work on other cars, right? Not right now. Uh, Elon Musk did make, I think it was a year ago, said he, he thought he might open them up to everybody, but I think his owners told him, "Don't you dare!" Because we're yeah, pretty right. soon we're not. We don't want to stand in line behind somebody other brand of vehicle to right. to use the chargers that you built for us. Well, as so. we've learned recently, <laughs> uh, we can count on Elon Musk to to do anything he says he's going to do. So I'm not, not at all concerned. <laughs> John Davis is the creator, producer, and host of well Motor said. Week. <laughs> it airs on MBT and on PBS stations around the country. We'll have more with John uh, Davis after a quick break. We'll take your calls, your emails, your tweets, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday wypr. I'm Tom Hall. Stick around. This is 88.1 WYPR. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, a reporter's notebook with three terrific reporters, Justin Fenton of the Baltimore Banner, as well as John Lee and Jekina Collier of the WIPR news team. We'll talk about foreign investors who are gobbling up vacant houses here in Baltimore City, talk about a new approach to paying for climate-related damage in Baltimore County, and the latest education news. That's on the way tomorrow here on Midday. Thank you, Mr. Springsteen. If you've just joined us today, my guest is John Davis, the creator, producer, and host of Motor Week on MPT and PBS. We're taking your questions and comments about all things automotive. 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday wypr. So, John, we have an email from uh, Pete in Waverly who says, I'm looking forward to moving to an electric car. I now have a RAV4 that Mm -hmm. suits me, and it's running well. How long should I wait before I trade it in for a similar electric vehicle? My considerations are price, not getting one before the the technology Mm -hmm. is optimal, or before there are sufficient recharging stations around the country, including away from large coastal cities. So <sighs> this is a, a question that everybody has. That last, the last part of that question, I don't know how long it's going to be. Yeah, it's it just, could be five years, it could be 10. I mean, we know that there's plenty of chargers popping up, both uh, level two and fast chargers, what we call level three, around major cities. Um, but it's not making out into the rural areas as fast as it should. 
Uh, and largely because a lot of private industry is involved and they're looking at putting the chargers in where they're going to get payback as fast as possible. Uh, interestingly, you find an awful lot of the fast chargers at uh, Walmarts up and down the interstates. Uh, that's been uh, our place to stop of choice on, on many trips. So I think that's still probably three to five years away before you think you could go off on a trip and comfortably travel. And by that time, I think the average range on electric vehicle, which is about 250 to 280 right now, it's it's going to be nudging 400. And at that point, you're about a, a full tank of gas in a, a reasonably efficient uh, internal combustion engine vehicle. So we're getting there and we're getting the range probably a little quicker than even I thought a couple of years ago. But to be it your only car so you could travel. Uh, I think he might want to think about buying what's called a RAV4 Prime, which is the RAV4 with a plug-in hybrid system. So he's got a battery that he can commute with, and yet he's still got a very efficient vehicle for longer trips, and he won't have to worry about uh, the, the infrastructure. And when it comes to the calculation for places yeah. like Walmart, yeah. I wonder if they have enough charging stations that can attract a steady flow of people during the day. You know, if you're, if you're going to plug in and have 45 minutes to right. kill and you happen to be in the Walmart parking lot, right. you're going to go into Walmart and you'll spend $100 or whatever. Or, you know, I mean, it just, uh, I don't think people are going to be sitting in their car in the Walmart no, parking I lot while either. they're getting plugged in. They're going to go in and they're going to buy stuff from Walmart. And I guess at some point, if that tips to the point where they think, you know, these things are really worth it because it's attracting customers into our store, you know, it could happen sooner rather than later. It's worked for me. Um, the last time I charged up uh, a vehicle at Walmart, I went into the store for about 30 minutes and the app on my phone told me when the car was full. Yeah. So, so you went back out. And, 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 you and were, I'm sure I had something you in my were spend, hands. And you were spending exactly. money for those 30 minutes. <laughs> That's you know? exactly right. So the Washington Post had a piece yesterday that says, as an industry, mm -hmm. the car industry has made very little progress on efficiency, especially from 2016 to 2021. Um, cheap gasoline prices did get uh, people back to dealerships, mm -hmm. but they were buying sport utilities uh, vehicles and pickup trucks. I mean, that's and so they were America, not they were America's not buying answer. they were buying gas guzzlers, you know. So uh, the fuel economy gained just five percent in right. those five years. That's not a big gain. Uh, and there was a big game, uh, deal struck with the automakers in the Obama administration that said we need to get to twenty percent. Um, so we're not we're not even close to to getting where the, where the goals were at least. Well, during the Trump administration, they basically pulled back. Right. But now the Biden administration is moving forward, and over the next year, they've got to improve fuel economy for their fleet by ten percent. And then I think it's either eight or ten percent a year for the couple of years after that. So. I actually think that they're back on track in trying to make up a little of that lost ground. And I think it's a good thing because the automakers had already basically planned to do that anyway. But buying bigger vehicles, that's what how America has gotten around some of the fuel economy standards before. And I predict that if we start trying to force people into more and more electric vehicles that you're going to start seeing consumers opting for heavy-duty vehicles that don't come under the standards, you know, the heavy-duty pickups and maybe even a new line of super heavy-duty SUVs. So we, I'm not sure that we're out of the woods as far as uh, 
turning people away from gas guzzlers at all. John Davis is the host and creator of Motor Week on MPT and PBS, 410-662-8780. If you have a question or an email, midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at Midday WIPR. Let's go to the phones to Bill from Reisterstown. Welcome to Midday with John Davis. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. So I'm a, a proud parent of a, a graduating turf from the University of Maryland. Congratulations. Yeah, you know, thank you. And they say as a parent, you want to keep them alive till they're 25. Right. And I'm just, I'm just perplexed by there's so many of these um, new safety features. Um, what should I prioritize when help? You know, I'm gonna, I'm contribute to the car. Maybe purchase the car. Help, you know, help him right. get a car. But I want to steer him toward a safe car. Uh, that's a very good question, and a lot of the stuff that you're looking for, you're going to find standard, or at least it'll be in an option package. Here's the priorities. Make sure you've got every conceivable airbag you can get. The next thing is you want an automatic braking system or emergency braking system. And most new cars have it by law. They're going to have it very soon if they don't already. But emergency braking, blind spot monitoring, something that lets you know if someone's in their blind your blind spot. And beyond that, if it has features like uh, emergency backing braking so when you're backing out of a parking lot it will let, it will stop you if a car is coming behind you that you can't see but emergency braking mini airbags um, blind spot monitoring those would be my priorities all right thanks for that call bill and john uh when it comes to inventory yep. uh we understand i said at the top of the show that it's up it's the highest it's been all year in it's 20, triple where it was a year ago yeah so yep. that's a lot more cars yep. um and there was a survey uh done uh, saying that car dealers now are pessimistic about the car business, that they think um, the sentiment in the fourth quarter of this year, of 2022, uh, it's at the lowest level since the start of the pandemic. This is from the Cox Automotive Dealer Mm -hmm. Sentiment Index. Um, The current market index is uh, number 43. It peaked uh, a couple of years ago at 67. Um, So car dealers no longer think um, that cars are hot properties and uh, you know, business yeah. is, is is booming. That's interesting. I think it's recession for fears, which may or may not be founded. And but interest rates. I mean, they're built on monthly payments. That's what builds the car business. And with you know five and six percent versus zero to one or two percent, that that turns away a lot of new car shoppers and makes them used car shoppers. Uh, let's go to James, who's on the line in Gwyn Oak. James, welcome to Midday with John Davis. Hey, thank you so much for taking me out. I really do appreciate your show, and I appreciate both of you guys. Thank you, James. Um, I have a, I have a, a like really, really like a two part question. Um, kind of, kind of sort of three, but really one of the biggest things I would I would go with is, is safety first, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I am a technician at a at a Ford dealership right now. I got done working at a Hyundai dealership not too long ago. Um, as a technician, uh, you know, electric cars kind of scare me as far as the reliability on like a job front but regardless of the personal feelings aside how do you how do how do we judge the safety on an electric battery versus an internal combustion engine as far as um say if like you go through a giant puddle of water or if there's a short um in in the in the system what is the safety concerns versus a gasoline internal combustion powered car versus an electric vehicle 
Well, I think uh, there's a couple of levels to, obviously many levels to your question. As a technician, I would be concerned about the high voltage that you've got to work with. But then again, theoretically, you're going to get the proper training from the manufacturer to deal with that. As far as the consumer, there's really been no evidence, despite some publicities about, you know, the occasional electric car fire here and there. There's really no evidence that the electric car is more apt to have something that will be a fire, say, versus a gasoline-powered vehicle. So I'm not sure there's any innate safety issue there as far as the consumer is concerned. I mean, some people don't want to park the, their electric vehicles in their garage because they don't want it to catch on fire and their house burned down. That, that just hasn't happened except in a very, very few instances. And I think that if you had a gasoline leak, the same thing could happen. So I really don't think that's a, a reasonable concern. I am actually concerned about the fact that electric vehicles weigh so much more than an internal combustion engine vehicle. And if you are in a smaller car and get hit by an electric vehicle, you have the you may get injured a lot more than say if it was a gasoline powered vehicle just because of inertia. That actually does worry me, and I'm wondering when that's going to become a, a public issue. Uh, thanks for that call, James. That's an excellent question. We have an email from T. Guthrie who says, My mom and I were in Paris in September, and we were amazed at the public charging meters that were lining the streets. Mm -hmm. Meters because they resembled parking meters, and they were just as prevalent as parking meters. They also have enormous accessibility to electric bikes, but this requires municipal Investment, of course, and actually uh, NPR has a story today about the number of accidents they've had on the mm -hmm. electric bikes. That has not gone completely flawlessly. But, um, you know, are there European models, uh, Asian models that we can look to to uh, to, to accelerate the, uh, the timetable for getting electric uh, really, you know, fully ensconced in the I American think so. Character? Uh, and a lot of it's been done by the central governments. Uh, France uh, has been, you've been able to rent on the side of the street electric vehicles to run around town in for over a decade. Uh, the company tried to do the same thing in Indianapolis. Uh, here in the U.S., it didn't work. But I, I've actually seen them, and they are everywhere. The Nordic countries, uh, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Norway, they seem to be way ahead of everybody else as far as our side of the world. Uh, when you get over to Asia, I think you obviously have to see the, uh, that, that China is doing a great deal uh, in their big cities to make electric infrastructure readily available on almost every corner. But then again, you know, that's a, a different type of government and it's not one necessarily apt to fly here. But the Europeans, who have always been more fuel uh, efficiency conscious than we are, I think the, especially the Nordic countries, they're way ahead. Uh, we have a couple of tweets that I want to talk about. One's from Gene, who says, how will electric cars address traffic congestion? Wouldn't the best way to get to Ocean City be by reliable and frequent public transport? Right. Of course, that's true, but that's a whole other discussion for a different day. And then we have a call from Frank, who says, what's happening with self-driving cars? We hear about how the trucking industry is all going to be self-driven right. trucks uh, because there's a paucity of, of uh, trained truck drivers, among other reasons. So um, the self-driving and the congestion issue as relates to electric cars. What do you think? 
Well, I think the self-driving issue is, is, is both the same and different. There is no question that if we ever get to a world of self-driving, reliable self-driving vehicles, that that could cut down on congestion because theoretically, like the Jetsons, you could be traveling, you know, just inches apart. But trying to take um, artificial intelligence, self-driving to a level where it can coexist on the road with non-self-driving vehicles, that's where so far the big stumbling block is and is probably going to keep pure self-driving vehicles from being practical for a long time. Just yesterday, I think it was, Ford announced that they're closing down their their artificial intelligence uh, operation. And they have spent years and years trying to perfect it. So semi-self-driving vehicles to make them safer. We're all driving them every day. They have things that keep you in the proper lane. And those aspects are in cars now. They needed to be developed so we could eventually get to fully self-driving. But I think that we're going to have to be sort of happy with semi-self-driving vehicles for a lot while longer. We just aren't there with the technology yet. Yeah, and I guess this kind of thing is one step forward, two steps backwards in a yeah. way. I mean, But uh, it has same... made cars safer in that pursuit. Yeah. It's made cars today much safer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got Ford uh, closing down their AI thing. We have a story in Motor Week um, yesterday, a couple of days ago, that GM uh, has just opened uh, its first fully uh, EV plant Correct. in Canada. Right. You know, so, I mean, there are there are now plants that make nothing but non-internal combustion engine cars. And that's, you know. And uh, Volkswagen ha- is uh, basically doing the same thing in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So. John Davis, he is the creative heart behind Motor Week, which airs on MPT at 5 o'clock on Saturdays, and it re-airs Wednesdays and Sundays. The show is now in its 42nd season. It is television's longest-running automotive series. He began hosting it when he was 12. You can call us <laughs> at, f- at 410-662-8780 or email midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday wypr. We'll have more with John Davis after this quick break. Stay with us. This is 88.1 WYPR. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile My curiosity running wild Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go and I hope you have no particular place to go that you'll stick with us until the top of the hour with our good friend John Davis. We are talking cars and all things automotive with the creative uh, host and animating spirit behind Motor Week on MPT and PBS. You can join us at 410-662-8780 or email midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at Midday WIPR. You can tweet me at Tom Hall. WIPR. I want to ask you about mm-hmm. the chip shortage. Okay. We have the Chips Act, 
one of the right. uh, Biden administration's, uh, one of many mm-hmm. uh, legislative successes uh, this year. Um, he's going to try to, you know, juice up right. uh, the manufacture D- of these production. Uh, domestic production of these computer chips that are just so necessary yeah. for all kinds of cars. Um, where does that stand? Well, first of all, you know, electric cars take 10 times the chips that a non-electric car. So that's a huge deal. We're starting to see it ease. Um, Some automakers have built their own chip plants here in the U.S. Some of the plants that had been closed down have opened up again. We used to make an awful lot of chips, uh, especially in Texas. So I'm glad to see anything that will bring this back. What worries me down the line is, you know, people are always buying stuff for the auto industry that comes from the cheapest source. So uh, if things get back to normal and they start building them cheaper overseas somewhere, are these plants going to last? But as it is now, we're starting to see it ease. And I think that combined with inflation fears and interest rates, which are slowing down auto sales, it's all making the vehicle inventory, as you pointed out earlier, get back closer to normal. But yes, it does look like finally, after three years, the chip uh, situation is starting to ease. Yeah, of course, there's so many, you know, geopolitical events that happen that, you know, just change things literally overnight. I mean, the war in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, which took a lot of auto parts like wiring harnesses off the table. So they made a lot of that stuff there. Um, China is yeah. uh, looking at a very possible uh, huge COVID infection rate. Amazing. Uh, that could close a lot of factories in China that supply a lot of uh, parts for electronics. cars and electronics, yeah. you know. So it's, it, stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, folks have to be able to, uh, to you know, adjust. Um, so we have a tweet from uh, Alan Gutman who says, while the incentive for electric cars is reducing carbon emissions, what damage is battery sourcing doing in countries and communities where the minerals for the batteries are mined? I don't think anyone's got a handle on a real answer. I'm sure it's doing some. But then again, if you go drill for fossil fuels, that that also harms the environment in many aspects, too. I will say that in some places, like in the remote uh, desert areas of California, where they're a, where they have new sources of lithium and being able to finally get it out of the ground, it's bringing prosperity that the folks around there have never known before. So I guess it's a trade off. Uh, nothing is free. If you've got something good, it probably has some bad effect effect. But when you look at what all of this eventually is going to do to the air we breathe, you have to figure out this is a net positive down the down the line. It's midday. We're talking cars with John Davis. Our number 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. So we have an email from Babs who says, are we going to see a reasonable hybrid or electric car for those of us who live active, messy lives with lots of gear and animals? What I mean is the category that really no longer exists, the station wagon. She says Toyota had the Prius 5 for a little while. And I think there is, if you can find it, a Toyota Sienna hybrid van. Um, But in terms of, you know, something that's not a truck, uh, back in the day, I mean, I learned to drive yeah. on a Ford Country Squire with the with the paneling on the side and the whole thing. It was a, a work of art. Most um, SUVs today are nothing but station wagons with all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. So the station wagon is not gone. We just make it a little boxier, and we call it something different. I mean, <laughs> But plenty of storage plenty room of for storage. animals and gear. I mentioned uh, the Toyota RAV4 Prime a little while ago. Now, it's not the biggest SUV, but it's decent size, and you can get most, you know, 
I can get two of my big dogs in it and most of my gear and, and travel. But the simple answer is, is you're going to have hybrids short term. You're going to have hybrids and plug-in hybrids in every class range uh, from, uh, you know, two-seaters up to seven- and eight-seaters. You've been able to buy a plug-in hybrid Chrysler minivan for years now. Uh, So if you look around the market, chances are she'll find something that's already out there that would meet her goal for a reasonable price. We have an email from Mark uh, talking about Pat Goss. Yes. Who says, I took my 69 Camaro to Pat's shop in Edmondson when I lived in College Park in the 1970s. Rest in peace, Thank Mr. you very Goss. much. Uh, if folks that don't watch the show probably aren't aware, but our long term, my, my best friend and our long time um, automotive um, uh, technology and mechanical genius, Pat Goss, passed away suddenly in March uh, of last year, of this year. And uh, it was very sudden. He was getting ready to open up a, a new shop near Annapolis, and he got injured, and the fallout from the injury um, took his life. And we were, of course, caught totally uh, off guard. And uh, basically for the rest of our season 41, we used the new segments that he had already uh, shot because we would shoot all of his uh, Goss's Garage segments during one period during the, the summer of the year before. So we used those up, and then we retired Goss's Garage and then came back this fall with uh, a different name and a, a different group of people. But there's no replacing Pat. He, I, I've never met anyone that had... Well, first of all, he was just a nice man. And beyond that, his knowledge about automobiles spanning seven decades was just unparalleled. I mean, all sorts of companies within the auto industry and repair industry used him to test their products. And if it got the Pat Goss seal of approval, they would go to market with it. And he didn't make any money off that. He just did it. Uh, so... Uh, a great guy, a wonderful companion, uh, a terrific human being, and uh, we are all much poor. Uh, and I know the Motor Week is just not the same without him. Well, thanks for that email yeah. from Pat. And uh, we, of course, very sorry Thank for you. your loss. I know he was a close, close friend. So yeah. Brendan says, can you tell me if electric cars will ever be fun to drive. They're fun to drive now. Yeah, really. I mean, he says, I bought a six-speed Honda Civic Sport in 2019, and it's a blast. I've put 70,000 miles on the car since. I get about 40 miles a gallon. Yeah. I don't ever want to move to an electric horizontal elevator is what he calls well, it. Well, let me tell you so something. So, Brendan, you got you got you to readjust some attitude here. It used to be that if we drove a sporty car that had a zero to 60 time of five to six seconds, that was considered very fast. For an electric vehicle, you're talking three, four seconds, zero to 60 in many cases. Six is actually almost a laggard. And because the batteries weigh so much and have a lower, make the vehicle have a lower center of gravity, they almost all of them handle really well. So they are fun to drive now. However, some the manufacturers need to put more feel into them so you feel more connected to the road. That's the one thing that they're sort of missing. But as far as what most people consider fun, which is pulling away from a stoplight with a lot of uh, energy, and tackling those mountain roads going up to the Catoctans, that's there now. All right. No need to wait, Brendan. No, no need to wait. Um, let's go to the phones to Farouk, who's on the line from Catonsville. Welcome to Midday with John Davis. 
Hey, good, uh, good afternoon, Tom. I always call you and I listen to your program, and I also, one, once in a while, saw the uh, program of this uh, this car show. Thank you. The yeah. Question, uh, yeah, question I have is I'm a handicapped, and I'm driving 2007 uh, Grand Caravan, which is a convert conversion. Right. And it, it has a small ramp because I'm a scooter. Is there any way you guys know any kind of help from the federal government or state government or because these cars are not, not no expensive. they're very your conversions are very expensive i'm not i don't know the honest answer is uh that's just not a field that i've looked into i do know that actually in westminster westminster maryland uh, where I live, uh, there is a company that does the conversions. I'm sure there's some kind of financial support out there, but it's probably not enough. And yes, I, my understanding is the average conversion cost, like for the van you have, is like thirty thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, it's very as much as the car. It's almost itself. as much as, as the vehicle itself. Yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah. sorry, I can't really help. Right. What condition is your car in now? I mean, you've had it for a while. Yeah. yeah actually, what happened that. My condition is good. I'm driving right now, but uh, I, I have a special left foot accelerator. Mm. Condition is good. But, you know, on and off, it's 2007. Sometimes this happens, sometimes that happens, sometimes sure. ramps yeah. are not. Yeah. So, but I'm just fighting. I'm just like, a, you know, I thought some kind of state or federal grant for handicap. I'm retired also. Right. Worked for the state of Maryland for 34 years. But now I thought probably there are some, you know, uh, program or help or something for not for me, for for autos senior or people who are handicapped or they need some help and they cannot afford you know to those cars. No, it's a good That's point. Right. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm just not. Uh, I just don't have it in my uh, database. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, thank you for that Sorry call for and, that. and good luck. And John, um, uh, when the inventory of new cars was so depleted, mm-hmm. uh, there was no such thing as bargaining about no. the price. Is that ever going to come back? And I, I, I think of that as well as the fact that so many people are buying cars online. Right. They're buying them sight unseen. And you don't, you know, when you're online and clicking, you're not, you're not clicking back and forth about the price. You're, you're just clicking, yes, I accept this price or no, I do not. Um, that whole experience of haggling about the price of a car, um, what do you think? I think it's going to come back if the dealers can't sell what they've got. Mm-hmm. We are already seeing them discount the uh, interest rates. Uh, we're seeing them take that extra money they put on top of the uh, MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested real price. That's going away as the volume goes up. So I don't know if it's ever going to become as ordinary as it used to be. If a vehicle is popular, it's still going to probably go out the door for at least the uh, sticker price. But I do think it's going to come back if sales start slumping, and they probably will. Any advice to somebody who's going to haggle? Yeah, save your breath. Uh, I think you can haggle over anything. They call it market adjustment, that extra money they put on top of the MSRP. Do your research. Go on to sites like Auto Trader. Look at what different dealers are charging for the same vehicle. Go to the one that doesn't show that they're trying to put an extra couple, two, $3,000 or more on top of a vehicle. Talk to them. Um, you might have some sway there. Otherwise, I think you're going to have to w- just wait it out and see where sales go next year. Uh, let's see if we can sneak in one more call. We don't have a whole lot of time, but let's see if we can hear from quickly Scott in Falston. Welcome to the show. 
Oh, thank you. I just wanted to ask John if he would make a recommendation for a reliable used car for a college-age daughter, and if now's the best time to to get in the used car market. Uh, actually, used car sales have been down the last three months, so it's a good time. I'd look for anything, uh, you know, not too old, maybe no more than five years old. You can't really go wrong with a Honda or Toyota, and a lot of the domestics rate really high, especially if the vehicles from uh, General Motors right now. We have an email from Sue who says, I drive a 2013 four-door Honda with just 43,000 miles mm. on it. Should I sell it and get a new electric car in order to get improved uh, safety features and to help reduce air pollution? Again, this is a recurring yeah. question. When's the time to make the switch? That 2013 is a very clean vehicle. I mean, we're talking about the difference between that vehicle and the best you can buy today, maybe 5% when it comes to emissions. So I would not sell it based on that. With only 40,000 miles, that vehicle is barely broken in. Hold on to it for a while longer. Just, you know, you're missing some of the safety things, but you've got most of the airbags, and that's the important aspect. So I don't think it's a good time to sell. Well, thanks to everybody for your your calls and your tweets and your emails, and thanks to you, sir. John Davis, the creator, producer, and host of Midweek, or Motor Week, rather, which is produced <laughs> at I don't MPT. want your job, Tom. Yeah, it's not midday. It's not midweek. It's Motor Week. I got it. I'm, I'm figuring it out what we do for a living, John. This is good. Um, but it is, of course, produced in MPT right here in Maryland, and it's indicated on PBS stations across the country. Always a pleasure. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, Tom. Thanks for having me on. That's it for us today. Coming up tomorrow, a reporter's notebook with Justin Fenton of the Baltimore Banner and from WIPR's award-winning news team, John Lee and Shekinah Collier. Justin's going to tell us about foreign investors who are buying vacant houses in bulk in Baltimore City. John will share his reporting about a new approach to paying for climate-related damage in Baltimore County. And Shekinah We'll have the latest education news from Baltimore and beyond. So they join me tomorrow on Midday. I hope you can join us as well. Thank you for joining us today and every day here on Midday. Stay tuned for Here and Now. That's on the way after news at the top of the hour. I'm Tom Hall. Have a great day. You're listening to 881 WYPR.